My name is Jenna. I can't tell you my last name. I wish I could. It's kind of a nice last name. And I can't tell you where I live or the true names of my friends. Why? Because that would be the end of the podcast. We're reading Book Nine, The Secret. It's a Cassie POV. It opens with some rat-themed hijinks, followed closely by a new lead on some dodgy yerk plans. Tobias and Axe find a logging company protected by a force field in the forest, and they quickly realize that the Yerks have decided to just deforest the whole area in order to eke out the so-called Andalite bandits to give them no place to feed, much like they did in the last book with Visor 3. They try to do recon on the logging company, only to be discovered pretty much immediately, and in the ensuing escape, uh, there's some collateral damage in which a poor skunk is burned pretty badly, which would come up later when Cassie's father discovers the skunk or is called about the skunk and they have to go and rescue it. Cassie realizes immediately that the skunk is collateral damage from their behaviors and it sends her into a tailspin of morality concerning their war efforts. Having realized that they need more information about the logging company, they decide to sneak into the logging company building as termites. Uh, there's a lot of concern from the group about this because the termites are very similar to the ants in which they all had horrifying experiences as. And their concern was well-founded because as soon as they get near the termite colony from which they are, their morphs belong, they fall under the sway of the termite queen. Struggling against the queen's sway, Cassie has no real choice but to murder the termite queen, thus destroying the colony. Colony. But they do manage to get inside the building, allowing Axe to access their computers and get more information about what's happening. It turns out that they're logging illegally in a national forest. They are waiting to get a vote to allow them to continue. So they get the name of this person, Ferrand, who has not yet voted on whether or not he wants to allow them to perform logging. And the Animorphs correctly assume that this means he's probably not yet a controller and decide that they need to intercept him before he accesses the logging base itself in order to save him and also save the forest. Meanwhile, Cassie learns from her father that the skunk had kits, had babies in the woods, and they are most certainly going to starve or be eaten by predators without their mother. Cassie decides that she has to protect these kits from the rest of the forest. And because the Animorphs are a unit that works together, the rest of the Animorphs decide to help her out. While they're protecting the skunk kits, they realize that Ferrand is on his way up to the logging company right at that very moment, and they decide to intercept him with the sloppiest plan that they have yet. But they manage to stop him from getting controlled. Cassie gets captured, and as she's captured, she manages to transform into a skunk and skunk Visor 3. They manage to escape with Ferrand, hopefully shutting down the logging company for good. And they pull one over on Visor 3 by telling him the cure for being skunked is grape juice, not tomato juice, as is previously established in the books. So, welcome back to Fandalites. Brent and I are here, and we're ready to talk to you about skunks 
and morality, but mostly skunks. <laughs> this book is very skunk heavy. Yeah, skunk heavy and also some morality, but mostly skunks. They took the um, the eco-terrorism vignette uh, that they usually have at the beginning of these and sort of blew it up to the entire book. And I mean, appropriately so for a Cassie book. Oh, definitely. She's like, there's a whole exchange between her and Marco, in which he refers to her, I think, as Earth Mother and Eco Warrior. And Yeah, I think he says Earth Queen at some point, which I thought was funny because we have our, our warrior princess and our Earth Queen. <laughs> oh, I hadn't caught that, but it's so good. It's a pretty good combo. I really like skunks. For some reason, growing up, my mom had a skunk stuffed animal that I really liked because it was cute. And skunks are... Skunks are pretty cute, like they waddle, and they do produce some pretty awful smells, but they're so cute from a distance. Yeah, I, I can appreciate cute from a distance. <laughs> I think we're probably both cute from a distance. Speak for yourself, I am hideous at any distance. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say you're beautiful at any distance. You gotta believe in yourself, Brent. Uh, that just leads to failure. So this book is really, it's really sweet. There's some initial resistance from the rest of the group about Cassie's general eco concerns, because she's really concerned about the animals in the forest getting, uh, you know, dehabitated. And the rest of the, the rest of the animorphs are sort of like, well, mostly we're concerned about Tobias and Axe, which are the animals in the forest that we know will get deforested. <laughs> Did you just call Tobias an animal? A little bit. He's a half-hawk. Brent, I've made my peace with it. Okay, that's fair. I guess he has two. Yeah. Well, what about Axe? Also... That's racist dog. Oh, shit. No, he's an alien. It's... Um, is there anything I can say here that's not just more racist? Nope. So... Some of my best friends are Andalites. Horrible. So, I mean, but they are... They are animals and so are humans. And that's sort of one of the moral linchpins that Cassie goes through in this book is she's struggling with the fact that Tobias, like, Tobias for sure ate one of the skunk babies before she could find and save them. Oh, she gets so mad at him about this. She gets fucking furious with him. It's a very good scene, their confrontation, because she's, she's struggling with the fact that Tobias has to eat to live... And he's part hawk, so he wants to hunt and fulfill that that part of his heritage. She's... God damn it. She's also still really messed up uh, about having to murder that termite colony to save herself and her friends. Yeah, she full breaks down when she has to do that. Because she's wiped... Even though they're just termites, she's wiped out an entire community. And she she draws the parallel between kind of what the Yerks are doing to survive, what they're doing to humans. Also, the the whole experience is uncomfortably close to the incredible trauma inflicted on them by the ants. Yeah, I mean, that was always, always, always going to be the case. And they all felt trepidation about that before going in and just they should have they should have followed that fear. They should have like hitched a ride on one of the controllers as a flea or tick or something if they're doing bugs anyway. Yeah, especially because, like, they they get in as termites because, like, they crawl under, like, a pine needle because anything that's under the force field casts a shadow, I think is what Axe says. So they don't end up, like, there's nothing special about termites. It's just they were small enough to get under a thing that blocked the force field. I think their whole idea with the termites was that they could then also get through the wall of the building without being seen. But, like, they're lucky that they landed in the storage closet or whatever. 
Yeah, it's a very dramatic scene where after Cassie breaks through of this sort of drone hypnotism, she snaps the one of the pincers off the queen and, and I mean, kills it. She kills it and then she freaks out and they she starts to demorph while in a wooden plank and has to get busted out by Axe's tail. Yeah, no kidding. No wonder she goes crazy. I mean, it's I mean, it's pretty traumatic and it, it raises a lot of questions that Cassie has already been dealing with and that we've already talked about a little bit in in regards to, first of all, the morality of morphing any creatures, especially sentient creatures, but also with the fact that like Hork, the Hork-Bajir that they murder consistently don't have a choice. <laughs> like they're, they're slaves that they are slaughtering in order to get at the things that are controlling them. Yeah, and I think she actually becomes the first one to verbalize that during this because she has a line about something like, oh, well, just due to these human controllers, the same thing that we've been doing to the Hork-Bajir. And I think the reply is, well, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, and I mean, they are f- they are fighting a war and I think that's kind of the only response they could have. Like, the, they, they, their fragile teenage psyches cannot take a single more piece of goddamn morality. Right. It's rough enough that basically every victory they have comes with the automatic death of a civilian that was conscripted into this. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime that they get rid of a Yerk, they're pretty much always getting rid of their host as well. And sometimes we don't even know if they're actually getting rid of the Yerk. Right, because we still haven't established whether or not the host dying kills the Yerk. I mean, I would assume not. I would assume that probably the Yerks bail, but whether or not they they get picked up or if there's some sort of Yerk collection squad after every battle that's scooping them up and dropping them back into the pool. I mean, the, it's just the same Yerk collection squad that follows Visser 3 around so that they can <laughs> rescue all of the subordinates <laughs> that he murders with no thought. Yeah, which he comes close to once in this one, if fucking hilariously. One of his workers is like, I know how to solve your smell, it's tomato juice, but is cut off before he can say anything, because Visor 3 is like, no, let the Andalites trick me with their <laughs> Andalite tricks first. God. <laughs> the fucking... Visor 3 is horrible. He's so bad at this. He's so bad at this that not only is this like an incredibly ham-fisted plan, Mm. Uh, yeah the logging plan yeah the logging plan it's the hospital one was way better this is just this is just spiteful (laughs) yeah 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 no it really is because the last episode was all about his beautiful perfect meadow getting made unsafe because he's and he spoiler he's back in the andalite body of course but yeah it does seem like it's just a really petty spiteful thing like oh they, they took my meadow i'll take i'll take all of their meadows i'll kill every single one of <laughs> of their 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 woodland friends yeah so not only is his like major plan here not good but also he actually plays his half of his bargain with the animorphs straight it would have been so easy for them to infest ferrand with one of the yurks from the controllers driving him to the hospital just on the way there, and they wouldn't know until it was way too late. Yeah, or have one waiting in the hospital for him. Right, because it's been established that they did have that yerk pool in the hospital. They had a hospital, yeah, they have methods. They got ways. But I mean, based on, I mean, maybe in a future book, we'll hear that the entire National Forest was knocked down, but I really doubt it. I just, I, I can't get over how incompetent Visser 3 is and how lucky the Animorphs are that he is leading <laughs> the invasion. 
Yeah, he's consistently, he's such a blunt weapon. Like all of his plans are so, so narrow-sighted and so focused on the Animorphs and capturing them that he's just exposing their entire operation on the planet. Man, I don't even know. He's, he's literally a Saturday morning cartoon villain. He's pathetic. He's Skeletor. He's Cobra Commander. <laughs> he's whatever the equivalent villain was in Mummies Alive. Um, God, I don't even remember. That, why would you? That was a bad show. I loved and watched that show, but no, <laughs> but no, I do not retain a single memory of it. That'll be our next podcast. All right. Yes. Yes. Next fan cast is, is Mummies Alive. <laughs> it's a Mummies Alive podcast. Very good. It'll be called Mummies Dead. Yes. <laughs> as long as we're always doing a recap cast for something that's been done for at least a decade. Yeah, I mean, that way we can keep our, our outro the same. Nostalgia is a drug. So they, they never really they never really answer, and I appreciate this, there's never really a clear-cut answer about morality when it comes to being prey or being predators and, and where humans fit in in this whole ecosystem. There, there's definitely a, a point where Cassie's like, oh, should we be fighting back? Is this nature? Are we different from other humans? other animals just because we're human and i think that's a that's a great question that's a question that haunts me to this very day it's a question that humanity's been wrestling with since well ever yeah i feel like there was a long time where humanity was like yeah we've got souls and and religion and that makes us different from other animals but i feel like that that tide has turned in the last 100 150 years but i don't know i mean my i i think that we are just animals but we know how to wear hats and that makes us different i guess hey don't forget pants and pants nah i'm not that into pants hats are where it's at <laughs> but at some point cassie's like is the thing i think it's cassie it might be actually it might be jake jake's like the thing that makes us different from animals is that we care enough about other animals to try and save them jake is the one who suggests to cassie that humans are animals but they're also something more because they're the only animal that can save any of the others. And I mean, I think that in the end is probably what Cassie's morality is going to boil down to is we are doing horrible things. But if we don't, all of all of the animals on Earth will be wiped out. Like for a fact, full stop, the Yerks will wipe out everything that they can't use. Oh, yeah, they made that perfectly clear. Yeah. And there's there's a, a again in the scene between Tobias and Cassie where they're they're talking through the morality. Tobias also makes a great point. That's like, is it any difference if you feed me a frozen mouse versus me hunting a mouse? And I think that's I mean, that's a great question. We don't do we know if Cassie and her family are vegetarian? I think we assume they aren't. Okay, because there's at some point where she stops and eats a slice of pizza, and it's specifically called out to be vegetarian, which I thought was interesting given the context of the rest of the story. I, I'd just been assuming they aren't because I, I figured that if they were, it would have been brought up loudly several times. Yeah, her, her family seems, and Cassie to a huge extent, seem pragmatic enough that they might, I mean, because Cassie's dad specifically calls out like the circle of life. That's yeah. what happens. Her, her, the skunks' kits. He doesn't say they're gonna die, and it's a great moment where Cassie's like, "Wow, maybe my dad is lying to me as much as I'm lying to him about the world." <laughs> and I'm like, "Probably not. He, he's probably not lying to you nearly as much as you are." But that's neither here nor there. 
So uh, a fun little detail I thought was that uh, the Yerks couldn't help but name their lumber company after a dirty word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what that word was? Dapson. Dapson Lumber Company. And Axe never actually says what it is because he's a soft boy <laughs> who uh, who would who would never sully his thought speech with such dirtiness. <laughs> yeah, but he does point out he's like, oh, oh, it's a dirty word. Yeah, yeah it's very a, it is a rude word. Yeah, it's a rude, rude York word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and speaking of naming things. <laughs> So after they get all the the skunk, uh, all the animorphs yes. on board with carrying taking care of the skunks, yes. Marco names them after the Ramones, <laughs> which <laughs> so is perfect. Was, it's very sweet. It, absolutely, uh, I, I'm I'm glad that it's now like official that that Kay Applegate is a fan of the Ramones, or at least knew who they were uh, when she developed Ramonite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's canon. Ramonite is a galactic uh, element that is specifically named after the Earth Band, the Ramones. <laughs> I like that they all. Uh, there was some. There was some pushback at first about Cassie looking after the kids, but they all got on board, which is good and important because they've all pulled this exact same bullshit with their own weird personal animal psychodramas. They've all had a co you're right, they've all had a coping mechanism similar to this in some way. The the thing with the skunks, Cassie's sort of making them into her redemption. Like if she can keep these skunk babies alive, then then that makes her not a terrible person. Uh, and it seems super unhealthy, but it's really all she's got, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, that's we're getting to the point where all of their coping me- mechanisms are like, well, that's bad, but it's all you've got. <laughs> right. It's it's real rough. Yeah. It's hard not to feel for Cassie and her, her moral struggle. And she wants so much for these kits to live. And they, I mean, they do. They they successfully return. She returns the skunk mom back to her kids. But it, you're left with the knowledge, like, they can't look over this one skunk family forever, even though they've all grown to love and care for them. Because it's nature. And Tobias probably will not eat any of these specific skunks in the future, but he's still going to hunt. Not name them. Yeah, not now, not now that they've named him. Marcos, Marco points out that the mom is probably going to give them different names, which is <laughs> <laughs> kind of endearing and a very Marco thing to say. Oh, did we mention we have confirmation from Cassie in this one that uh, Tobias and Rachel Netflix and chill? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we haven't mentioned that, but it is very good. She says uh, that, that Rachel will leave her window open and Tobias will come over sometimes and just hang so out in her sweet. bedroom. They'll watch movies or read a book. It's really sweet. I really like that. And do just normal, you know, normal girl bird stuff. <laughs> it's so adorable and so, so heartbreaking. So tragic. Really upsetting. We get an interesting peek in, in Jake and Cassie's relationship as well, because he flips his shit. When he finds out that she's morphed a skunk, curled up with the skunk babies, and fell asleep, he goes ballistic, like way angrier than we've seen him so far. Well, because she almost got stuck as a skunk. Like they were, it, her two hours was almost up, and she just fallen asleep. She was just gonna let it happen, which I mean, not in her best mind at at that point. Yeah, and I mean, not 
too far different from our theories about Tobias just letting himself get stuck in his morph as a coping yeah. mechanism for his real life. I wonder if he's regretting that one yet. I mean, he seems to have made his peace, but he does still seem to be lingering after Rachel a bit. Yeah, and he still bitches a little every time that they are going on a mission that requires some morph that he's got to hang behind. Yeah, uh, yeah, every single time, which is a lot of their plans. Like, he he's perfect for reconnaissance, but once they're in in the pool, so to speak, he's he's out of luck. Right. Hawkeyes, they, they can't see through water as well as the uh, Osprey. Poor Tobias. I'm looking forward to the next Tobias perspective. Yeah. I want to see what they do with that. But I'm also I'm glad I'm glad for this Cassie perspective because we've we've touched on some of these moral issues leading up to the part about especially about her increasing sort of lackadaisical attitude towards morphing sentient creatures. Turns out that she's decided that's okay because she's so twisted up about everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morally speaking, that could put got put on the back burner because she has so many other horrible things to deal with. <laughs> she doesn't have space for it in the moral quandaries that she is wrestling with. <laughs> And I mean, it comes up once or twice, like she's like, she's it's sort of emotionally attached to the rat. And how how bad of an idea was it to have Rachel morph that mouse too? that, that was, rat too? That was super weird. That seemed more like a like a plot device morph. Obviously a setup for something happening while they're in there. Yeah. And they do, of course, Jake hears about it through his connections at school, that there were two rats acting weirdly. Right. And and I think it's funny, like, they, they in this book, and I think the last book, they mentioned that Jake has made a no morphing for personal reasons rule that they absolutely none of them listen to or obey at all. Since, like, book two or three, maybe, he does not seem really too expectant that they will. No, no, absolutely <laughs> like, not. He still pretends, but then every time, like, it happens for him, he's just like, yeah... <laughs> yeah the only time he really flips is when he thinks that cassie's gonna be stuck as a skunk and that's just because he's not ready to have what rachel and tobias have right that's a relationship that's definitely got issues to work through they'll make it's, it work it's hard though. it's a lot of work yeah they'll get there i can't believe that cassie hasn't balled jake out for being such an irresponsible dog owner <laughs> for letting for letting homer get sprayed he just lets Homer follow him into the woods. He's just hanging around off leash, apparently in the National Forest. What the fuck, Jake? Yeah, a National Forest that they know has wolves. Yeah. Like, they know. And then after he gets sprayed, Jake is just like, all right, head back home. I just assume he'll get there, I guess. That that also felt like mostly a plot device. K.A.'s still coming a little off of her madcap hijinks axe POV, so I think we get a little more slapstick in this book than we normally do. We are back to the existential oh, yes. morph horror. 100%. This one has both food horror and body horror, so... But yeah, the, the ending scene, I have very, very vivid memories of this. The, the second I read the word skunk in this book, I flash forward to the end with, with <laughs> Visor 3 as an andalite in a giant pool of grape juice, slightly tinged purple from <laughs> from all the juice. Very, very vivid memories of that. So chemical weapons persist through a morph. With chemical weapons. If you weapon. get pepper sprayed and morph, you're out of luck. Well, do we know that, though? Because Visor 3 was sprayed as an Andalite. Was he? He was, because he'd morphed back, because he was using thought speech at the end. Why would he bother to get the secret, the, the secret tomato juice? 
he he it must it must it must linger so that that i mean th- considering again the cockroach that uh jake morphed and got bug bombed basically with it must be that even though the poison lingers but that's ex- external poison that's not rattlesnake poison this is definitely a, a contact and it's not even poison it's just like a smells really bad it's an irritant yeah it smells bad enough that axe had to physically leave like he was having a fight or flight reaction to it which explains why Vizzer was freaking out too oh totally i guess uh it, it seems like this would be a, a fruitful avenue to pursue for the yurks in anti-andalite weapons <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. dracon beams rule right they will cut straight through a ship if you want to negate somebody's uh, morphine advantage of being able to turn into anything, oh. you can identify them by the smell. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Like if they if they found a way to skunk these quote unquote Andalite bandits, probably be a lot easier to track them down, and you wouldn't have to use some sort of fucking crazy alien creature you got from Saturn. <laughs> Jeez, dumb plan. Visser has nothing but dumb plans. I have to assume that. Uh, Visor 1 came up with the hospital thing. Or, uh, yeah, maybe Visor 3 was sick one day and one of his much more competent, uh... Sub-Visors? Yeah, one of his much more competent sub-Visors came up with that plan and snuck it through before he got back. And then he was there to take credit, except that it failed anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to figure that being one of Visor 3's sub-Visors trying to influence policy is like, you have to incept it somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had that exact thought. You have to convince him that it was his idea. I had that exact thought, having had very incompetent bosses in the ba- in the past, where you have to like walk him through a process. In fact, this plan, this plan made me think of the sort of plan that you would come up with if you are convinced that the quote Andalite bandits are actually human, and you're trying to get the Vizzer to believe that. You're like, well, okay, what if we destroyed all the forests? So that the Andalite <laughs> bandits don't have a place to hole up. And Visitor 3 is like, excellent, that'll get them back. And then you're just like, okay, we just need, this is just step two in an eight-step plan to get Visitor 3 to believe that they're humans. <laughs> Jesus, that seems so likely now that you've brought it up. Yeah, that was my first instinct. Although I do think actually it was probably just Visitor 3 being extremely petty. Yeah, that, that, that also seems incredibly likely. It could be both. <laughs> it could be both. If you're coming up with a plan to try and convince the Visser that these Andalite bandits are human, you got to start with something that he's going to be on board for. And whoever's doing that is the actual t- true threat to the Animorphs. Man, speaking of terrible plans, though, it's not like Visser 3 has a monopoly on those. Oh, no. The, yeah, the Animorphs seem to have no plan going into the, the Ferrand Intercept. It's not just that. It's the, the whole way they find out about it is incredibly convenient because... They just decide, well, there's this one building, so I guess getting inside of that will somehow teach us about the Yerk's permitting process. Yeah, Cassie Cassie brings up that if they're logging in a national forest, they must have some sort of government permit. And that's a good call. I don't think I would have known that as a 12-year-old, but she does. I mean, she works for the animals, so I think it makes sense. Yeah, but- she works in the conservation industry. Yeah, yeah, she she's a she's an eco conservationist, so it makes sense. But she points out that they must have a permit somehow, and then there's a big leap in logic where they're like, "We must break into that place to find out about that." And it's like that seems like that seems like the the least 
good place to break into to get information about this. Yeah, and it just so happens that it actually is. Uh, they they stumble upon a computer that acts somehow sets up like a rat client on so that he can access it from Marco's dad's computer, which thank God Hecate is covering their tracks digitally <laughs> because I guarantee you that Axe does not know how to use Tor. <laughs> Yeah, I'm certain. I'm certain Axe is not covering his tracks as much as he he hopes he is. But again, you know, we know Hecate's there. You're right. She's definitely got them covered. Yeah, in between taking care of the the PTSD X controllers that she's taking care of. God, I really want your Hecate fanfiction to include a that support group in a it scene. It can. It can. Why not? Yeah, it, I really want it to. Please, in, please include. <laughs> okay. Okay. I would say. This whole book kind of reminded me of the Tobias book, wherein it seemed like the war plot was a B plot. Like most of the books are like their their war strategies are, are the A plot. And then you have a B plot that's like an emotional uh, or, or a, a sort of a real life sort of conundrum that that's happening. So we get that in Rachel's book where it's on, on the top level, the Illamist and that that whole clusterfuck and then the the b level is her moving away i feel like in this book and in the the previous tobias book it's really the war plot is a little slapdash and we are not supposed to think about it too much because it, it falls apart pretty quickly but the the a plot where it's about their emotional struggle and coming to terms with their part in nature is more important and more interesting yeah i i agree with that assessment the actual viscer plan foiling is not the main thrust of this book and that's fine yeah that's fine it's it's a nice uh it's we really get a lot of insight into Cassie in this one and it, it jives with a lot of what we've been talking about with her previously. So I, I think this was a, a real a real good inclusion in the series. I, I think it's a strong entry. I don't know if it's necessarily the best written book, but I think it has some of the most interesting moral questions and absolutely no answers. Oh, um I know we wanted to talk about this. So I, I mentioned before the show that Mindless Slaves of the Termite Queen sounds like a D&D module. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yes. uh, so that got us talking about, like, if it were written up as a D&D module with the Animorphs as pregens, what classes would all of them be? And you said you had some thoughts on this. Okay, Cassie, obviously a uh, druid. Sure. That one's straightforward. I think Rachel, probably barbarian? I can see it. Those are the only ones that it's, I think it's super obvious. I don't know about Jake and Marco, though. Uh, or Marco probably a bard or rogue maybe. I'd say Marco's a bard and he puts all of his skill ranks in performance jokester. Yeah, yeah, he has a performance rank, but it's in one of the dumb non-musical performances. He has, yeah, he's got ten ranks in oratory. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know about Jake though. Jake is like super boring, so maybe paladin. Paladin makes sense. <laughs> what about Axe and Tobias? God, well. I mean, I I don't know that Axe has a class. He might not have hit his uh, level equivalent yet to burn off of his to burn off his level adjustment. Uh, and Tobias Ranger, maybe he lives in the woods now and fights crime. So he's basically the invincible <laughs> hammer wheel in hawk form. <laughs> he he fights wood based crime. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's he's got to be a ranger, just if for no other reason than now he lives in the woods and his survival skill is on point. No, I think that makes sense. But okay, but what is Axe's class going to be? Oh, what is Axe's class? Yeah, like maybe like a wizard? He's pretty handy with that tail blade. Monk, maybe? Oh, a monk's a good choice. Just focusing on his natural weapons? 
Yeah, I like that. Well, that was easier than expected. <laughs> All right, so expect that at some point. At some point, we will put that together. Mindless slaves of the termite queen. Slaves of the termite queen, yes. It's good. Um, it's catchy. Uh, of course, Jen and I will have to probably brawl over what version of the rules to write that up for. Pathfinder, what do you even... Oh, really? What? I'm sorry, what other option is there even? Okay, what... You know, it doesn't, that's, that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> uh, was there anything? Oh, I wanted to talk about how weird it is. This isn't a real topic, but it's super weird that Jake winks at Cassie a bunch. Like he winks, he winks at her. Even saying that word appropriate is, is hard. Are you not used to winking? I, no, listen, I wink a lot, but I'm an adult and I've spent a lot of time developing the skill to wink and not be embarrassed by winking. I don't, it's so crazy to me that a 12-year-old boy would be able to do it to his crush girlfriend, nonetheless. Well, Jake's got to be good at something, and we know it's not riding or basketball. <laughs> oh, poor Jake. Or responsible pet ownership. Or plans, really. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't take that away from him. He's, He's got to be, be good, good at something, something, and it's winking, I w guess? Winking is his talent. He is a talented winker. I wonder what the Andalite word is for someone who's unnaturally talented at winking. <laughs> You think they have a specific word for it? They got four I'm eyes. Already... They gotta have a word for winking. Oh, God. Oh, okay. This is a classic internet question. If an Andalite winks, is it with one of the four eyes? Is it with, like, the top set or the bottom set or, like, the left two eyes or the right two eyes? Or is it, like, all of them but one eye? This seems like a very straightforward answer to me. Okay, let's hear it, smart guy. Yeah, okay. So if it's one eye, it's a wink. If it's Two eyes diagonal from each other, it's a wink. Okay. Otherwise, it's a blink or a double blink. <laughs> I like that's a very good answer. <laughs> I didn't think you'd have it, but that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Is there anything else we <laughs> wanted to talk about? <laughs> um, just a note that uh, they're, we, we now have it canonically. They're near a national forest. That still looks pretty good for the the bay area of california and I, I don't mean like just the san francisco metro area i mean like a, a pretty large swath around that and also we have a little k one of k's goofers in here because she mm. describes axe as having a torso Lies. even though we know that he doesn't that's canon it's canon can't can't fight your own canon k either a sloppy attempt at a retcon or just a goof up i think it's probably just a goof up we, yeah we know. i think i think we can all assume it's just a goof up although when i read it she says something like humanoid torso and so that made me picture a human human torso but still the horse head but no horse neck or human neck so just a horse head that's like embedded in a human torso <laughs> so instead of like clavicles you just have the horse head is just like right there <laughs> okay, if you want to draw a fan art of that, we can put it on andalitetruth.org 100%. Oh, this is really good. There's also another, there's another goofer where she, she says, you don't normally get memories in a morph. And that was super weird, because it, it has, how, how is it one or the other? How is it not one or the other? How is it sometimes you get the animal's memories and sometimes not? I mean, yeah, that definitely is sort of, I think her kind of going back to book one and, and saying, oh, well, yeah, this is the reason why Jake recognizes all of those urine smells. But on the on the other hand, like, we are just playing so fast and loose with what DNA actually is. Like, I know epigenetics is a whole field, but I'm pretty sure that we, we don't scientifically, 
as far as the 90s know, have <laughs> dune-like cellular genetic memory. I mean, we don't. Maybe maybe some of the animals do. Maybe dog. Maybe dogs do. <laughs> Yeah, I got the, the whole the whole energy I got from this book, especially because we have that very slapstick ending with Visor 3 and the grape juice. And, Getting dunked on and dunked in. Yeah, over and over again. And the fact that we have the um, between the, the slapstick ending with Visor 3 and Axe's whole slapstick book, it felt a little bit like somebody in Scholastic finally read these books and was, and was like, K.A., what the fuck are you writing? These are young adult <laughs> novels. All of these kids have PTSD. They keep slaughtering innocent people. What are you? What have you been writing? K.A.? Like the marketing guy who's been responsible for putting all the iron-on transfers and postcards and bookmarks <laughs> in the middle of all of these and... Uh, the little the little surveys in the back about how did you find out about the Animorphs? Win an Animorphs uh, sipper water bottle. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody filled that in with my therapist told me I should stop reading these books because they are <laughs> fucking me up so bad. Yeah, and that marketing dude was like, oh, what? I thought they were about like cats or something. <laughs> I definitely remember one of the covers had a cat. Somebody got wise and scholastic and was like, K.A., we need more weird 90s sitcom endings. <laughs> yeah, that was, God, I almost could hear them all laughing and then it freeze frames, like like the end of a G.I. Joe cartoon. Yeah, we see another uh, bottle of grape juice poured over Visor's three heads as he's sitting in the pool with his ar- little, little andalite arms crossed in defiance. And then we get a, a, a smash cut to the Animorphs gathered together in a perfect semicircle laughing. And that's one to grow on. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Fandalites. That'll do it for this week. Next week is book 10, The Android, which is a good mysterious title. Yeah, I'm really jazzed to see what that's about. Presumably an android. Well, we'll see. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can listen to his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. If you've got any of that good, good fan art Mm. or any questions uh, or comments or hot takes, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Fandalites or send them to our email, fandalites at gmail.com. Or send them our way on Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com. I'm so, I'm itching for that fan art, man. I want it so bad, guys. Give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Nostalgia is a drug.